Lessons in Tanya. The Tanya of Rabbi Schneir Zalman of Liadi. Taught by Rabbi Ben-Zion Krasniansky. Tanya's text elucidated by Rabbi Yosef Weinberg. holding in the middle of chapter 27, page 359. And he's talking about joy. A Jew always should be joyful. You always have to be happy and joyful. So he says, what if a person will be worried or sad about the fact that no matter how hard you try, you'll never win the war. You'll never win the battle. You'll always have to struggle. And that could be a very depressing thought. For the rest of your life, <laughs> you'll have to fight and work hard. And yet, you're always like back to square one. No matter how hard you try, no matter how much you refine yourself, no matter how disciplined you are, no matter how responsible you are, and how mature you are, and how aware you are, and how awake you are, you'll always be tempted. You'll always be bombarded with temptations. You cannot achieve a core change. And that could be a very depressing thought. That you're doomed, you're condemned. For the rest of your life, there's no break. It's not like if you work hard, you're going to be rewarded. You're going to be upgraded. You know, you'll move into the, uh, the, the corner office. <laughs> Here you can work and work and faithfully. And, and, uh, and yet, you're back to square one. You always have to struggle with the Yetzirah. You're always tempted and you're always... Um, so question is, how do you deal with it? It's a very depressing thought. And he says, not only shouldn't the Jew be depressed by the fact of life, that life is a struggle, but actually you should be joyful because you're fulfilling a mitzvah. You're actually, this is the will of Hashem, this is the will of our Creator. It's not by accident that this is the this way. We are created this way. God created this way and put us in this situation because that is exactly what He wants of us. That is the purpose of our life. Life is a struggle. And every time, because every time we overcome the struggle, every time we overcome a difficulty, because it's so difficult and because it's a struggle and because it's unnatural and we have to do something that goes against our nature and we have to choose to do the right thing, to Hashem to God it has infinite, infinite, only God is infinite, could appreciate the infinite worth and value of every struggle, every time, internally. We make the slightest movement forward because we are the microcosm of the whole world. As King Solomon says, that the, that the whole world is, in, is in, the heart, in the heart of man because whatever happens within the heart of man reflects the entire universe, the slightest movement in our hearts has such repercussions. It's so significant. It's like the sun, the sun moving uh, on the dial, moving slightly on the dial means in heaven it moves millions of miles. So to the slightest movement in this world reflects such an impact, such a powerful impact. Every time there's such a value, there's such a value to the struggle. Every time we struggle, and every, every time we overcome, overcome that struggle, there's a tremendous value, a tremendous, uh, and Hashem, it gives Hashem infinite pleasure. 
And he quotes this, the quote of the Zohar, that when a person overcomes his nature and overcomes, and this, then it reveals a level of the Shechin, it reveals the ultimate revelation of Hashem. And he's going to explain that there are two paths, two ways to serve Hashem. And there's two things that Hashem finds delightful. There's one thing Hashem finds delightful is the service of the tzaddik. The tzaddik has the ability to transform darkness into light, bitterness into sweetness. Now that's a tremendous novelty. That's a tremendous transformation. And that gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. But so too, there's also the service of the rest of us, 99.9% of us, that we have to struggle. And this gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. If you want to start with there, uh, there are two kinds of divine pleasure, page 359. For there are two kinds of divine pleasure. One, from the complete annihilation of the Sitra Achra and the conversion of bitter to sweet and of darkness to light. The former referring to the emotional faculties of the animal soul and the latter to its mental faculties, which is accomplished by tzaddikim. And the second, when the Sitra Achra is subdued while it is still at its strongest and most powerful, soaring like an eagle, and from this height God topples it in response to human initiative, i.e. as a result of one's efforts at subduing the Sitra Achra in his soul. This is accomplished by Benonim. Each of the two aforementioned categories, those who were, quote, created righteous, end quote, and who were, quote, created wicked, end quote, brings about one of these two kinds of divine gratification. So there is a gratification from transforming bitterness to sweetness. But then there's a gratification because when we overcome our inner darkness, our arrogance, our egos, the harshness of the ego, the negative, the, um, the rough edges of our egos. Ego essentially is not evil. It's, it's a neutral, it's a very powerful force. There's more energy in Wall Street than in a synagogue I've ever been to. There's a, an energy, a very powerful energy. There's nothing wrong with the ego per se. But it's the rough edges of the ego, it's the arrogance that comes with it, which leads a person to temptation, where a person is tempted to act in a way that's unwholesome, where a person is tempted to do things that are unwholesome, to think in a way that are unwholesome, to speak in a way that are unwholesome. When a person is able to overcome his raw nature, his nature, then Hashem, in kind, also takes down the forces of impurity, which is fueled by arrogance, and He also takes it down a notch. If we're able to overcome our nature, it causes a weakening, a weakening of the whole structure of impurity, the whole structure of arrogance in this world, the whole darkness of this world. It brings in a light, it's an illumination. And a little light dispels a lot of darkness. So every time you overcome, a diff- you do something that's difficult for you to do, and you win the struggle, you bring more holiness into this world. So we are Hashem's frontline troops. We are in the front line of the war. The war against, against arrogance, the war against um, self-centeredness, self-absorption, the war against impurity. And every time we overcome our urge and instinct and do the right thing, 
the whole world in a certain way becomes a better place, becomes a more illuminated place, a, a more genuine place, because Hashem diminishes and takes down the klipa, the shell, the surface, the arrogance, the ego, and brings it down one notch. The more we indulge, and the more we indulge in every urge and every instinct, the more the arrogance and the darkness increases, and the world becomes a little more unbearable, un- insufferable, <laughs> because it becomes a little more spiritually oppressive and dark and distorted and twisted and and uh, the lies and the cover-ups and the darkness and the distortion which causes destruction. It destroys families, it destroys partnership, it destroys friendships, it destroys, it destroys the peace, it destroys marriages, it destroys the peace of the home. It all stems from one source, arrogance. And the more ego- egotistical and the more prideful and the more arrogant people are and the world is, the more the darker, the darker the world is and you know it leads to conflict and it leads to war. But when a person is able to successfully deal with the inner conflict and you're able to overcome the difficulty, then you make the world a much better place, a much safer place, a much more stable place, a more, a more genuine place. So this is all a reflection. What happens in a microcosm has implications in the macrocosm. So whatever we do internally has tremendous implications. The whole world becomes a more settled place. So ironically, paradoxically, the more we struggle and the more successfully we struggle, the world becomes a safer place and settles down. The less we struggle and the more we just cave in, and we just indulge, and we just follow our urge, our instinct, our superficial self, our superficial nature, not our inner nature, our genuine nature. The more we just cave into our superficial nature, the more the whole world becomes destabilized. The world becomes a very distorted place. The world goes out of focus. The more we uh, struggle, and we overcome and deal with our struggles, the more the world comes into focus, the world becomes a better place. A genuine place, more, a warmer place, more welcoming place. So Hashem, it evokes a response f- from Hashem in every struggle. And it's not even a question of how a great struggle, small struggle. It's a very personal thing. It's a very subjective thing. It's a struggle for you. Maybe yesterday wasn't a struggle for you. Maybe tomorrow won't be a struggle for you. Maybe comparison to someone else, it's, it's insignificant. But for you, it's significant. For you, it's a struggle. You have to struggle to do the right thing, to think the right thing, to speak the right thing, to say the right thing, to act correctly. And you overcame that struggle. This has such infinite value, and it has such infinite repercussions. And it literally changes the world. And it brings, not only it brings Hashem it's tremendous pleasure, but in addition... It also has an impact on the world. That Hashem brings down one notch, the darkness of the world, the arrogance of the world. Because darkness is really empty. There's nothing there. Darkness is fueled. It's the emptiness. It's the void. The absence of light. Darkness is pure arrogance. If you boil it down to, if you boil it down, all evil and negativity, it's just a lot of bluff, bluster, arrogance, ego, and you know, there's nothing really there. There's no substance there. But it's enough to do a lot of damage. 
That's why evil is temporary. Evil is temporary. Evil has no reality. Evil is temporary. And inevitably, evil will come to an end. When God created the world, the world was a garden of Eden. It was all good. When Mashiach will come once again, the world will be all good. Arrogance, darkness, negativity is all temporary. Because it has no substance. And it's all fueled in pure chutzpah. Pure arrogance. And the less substance there is, the more arrogance there is. And if a person is able to overcome his own arrogance, his own edges, rough edges, that comes along with his ego, and he does the right thing, rise above his nature, and sparkle, and shine, and do the right thing, and think the right way, and speak the right way, in a way that's consistent with the genuine, with the truth, with the, our inner natures, Hashem in kind responds in kind. Hashem also brings the whole world into focus. He overcomes the arrogance of the world, and the world becomes a gentler place, a more genuine place, a more friendly place, more genuine. And the arrogance loses its bite. The darkness loses its luster and loses its bite and grows weaker. So the two are on an equal scale. And if one wins, the other one is weakened. When Jerusalem wins, when godliness wins, when goodness wins, when we do the right thing, then the antithesis of goodness, the antithesis of Jerusalem, the antithesis of godliness, the darkness is weakened. When the antithesis is strengthened, when we indulge and we succumb and we then Jerusalem is weakened. So we are the we are the warriors. We are in the front line. This is this is uh, not homeland security, it's it's global security. Every time we do the right thing, we make the world a more secure place. A friendly place. More genuine place. Okay, continue. This is alluded to. This is alluded to in the verse, quote, and make me delicacies such as I love, end quote. Where the word matamim, delicacies, is written in the plural, indicating two kinds of pleasure. So even though this verse, this verse refers to um, Yitzchak, Isaac, tells Esau, go into the field and make for me, prepare for me delicacies. In the plural, two types of delicacies. So he says, the Torah also speaks metaphorically. It's not only Yitzchak with Esau, continue with these words. These words are the charge of the Shekhinah to its children, the community of Israel, as explained in Tikkun Zohar, that with these words God asks of the Jewish people to please Him with their divine service. So metaphorically, Hashem is speaking to all of us. Hashem is asking us, go out into the field, this world which is considered a field, a jungle, a wild jungle. So He tells the Jew, He sends us into the field on a mission. He says, go into the field. Why? Because I need you to prepare for me two types of delicacies. What are the two types of delicacies? Uh, David, you want to continue? Just as... Just as with material food, there are two kinds of delicacies. One of sweet and luscious foods, and the other of sharp or sour articles, which are unpleasant to eat in their natural state, but have been well-spiced and prepared so that they become delicacies which revive the soul. 
so too are there two kinds of spiritual delicacies. One is provided by tzaddikim who are occupied solely with matters that are quote-unquote good and quote-unquote sweet, holy matters. Having conquered the evil of their animal soul, they no longer need grapple with the sitra achra. Their divine service consists of increasing the light of holiness. The second kind of delicacy is provided by benonim who are occupied with quote-unquote bitter matters with battling against the Sitra Akhra in their soul and with the evil thoughts that it spawns. There are two types of delicacies. There are things that are essentially sweet. But then, when you take something that's essentially sharp, spicy, and you transform it, there is an intensity, there is a, a pleasure that that food gives you. It's something that's natural sweet that doesn't give you. It's like the difference in sugar and honey. Sugar is naturally sweet. Honey, honey has, it has an intensity. Honey has the ability to take things that are not sweet. When you soak it in honey, when you dip, when you, then it transforms the sharpness into sweetness. But that sweetness has a power to it, has an intensity to it that sugar can never have. So when you transform the sharpness and things that are inherently or naturally unpleasant, and you turn it into something sweet, there's, there's, a, there's a, a pleasure. A pleasure that you find, he says it, which, which revives the soul. In a certain sense, there's a greater pleasure in those types of foods, sharp foods, that have been transformed into sweet, the things that are naturally sweet. So much so that a person who's in a state of faint, by eating those foods and those delicacies, you can revive the soul. So when you eat something that's naturally sweet, it maintains your, your life. But if you're in a state of faint, it won't do anything for you. But if you're in a state of faint, it's only when you eat sharp foods that would transform things that are, unnatural, that are naturally unsweet and sharp. And yet, you're able to transform them into something sweet and, and, and a delicacy they have the ability to return your soul. What do you mean return your soul? Return your soul means your soul is not functioning. On a conscious level, you're in a state of faint. Your soul is not functioning. But when you reach much deeper into your soul, you reach the soul itself, then you're able to return to a conscious state. So he's saying that, so too, eight tzaddik is dealing with sweetness. His whole life is sweet. He's only dealing with light. He's only dealing with holiness. He's not dealing with anything negative. He's not dealing with anything unnatural or negativity. He's, his, he's not bombarded with negative thoughts. He doesn't have to struggle or wrestle with negativity. It doesn't even enter his mind. He's not even tempted to do anything wrong. He's only tempted to do the right thing. So he's growing from sweetness to sweetness, from light to greater light. But the Benini, 99.9% of us, who have to struggle with negativity, and we are bombarded and we will be bombarded for the rest of our life, we'll be tempted. We'll have temptations that enter into our awareness where we're tempted to do something negative. And we have to struggle with it and overcome that tendency. So there's a sweetness about it. There's a delicacy. This becomes a delicacy that has the ability to revive the soul. Even when the soul is in a state of faint, it can reach much deeper. 
it can touch the soul itself and revive the soul and bring you back, bring your soul back to a conscious level. So he's saying in a certain way, he's saying what the Zohar said earlier, that it's only when you overcome the difficulty and the struggle that this, this gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. And in a certain sense, it touches Hashem in a much deeper place. Then the Jew, whose whole life is sweetness, light and sweetness, doesn't have to deal with shadow, doesn't have to deal with darkness, doesn't have to deal with the dark side, doesn't have to deal with the bad and the ugly. Everything is good, good and even better. Versus the rest of us that have the good, and we have the bad and the ugly, we have to deal with all of them. There is a, a strength and an intensity and a quality and a depth that we touch Hashem in such a deep way, it's such a delicacy for Hashem, that the tzaddik, in a certain sense, that doesn't have it, is missing. Because it's our ability to choose, the fact that we have the ability to choose, to go against our nature. That choice is so personal, and that choice is so precious. It's at that moment when you have a choice, and you're able to do something that's unnatural, you're able to do something that goes against, contrary to your urge and your instinct and your nature and your inclination. The tzaddik is following his nature. His nature has been transformed. So by nature, he loves to do the right thing. That's his nature. Like an angel. An angel loves to do the right thing. So since by nature, you love to do the right thing, so you're just following your nature. So your service of Hashem is limited. It's limited to your nature. But it's when you overcome your nature and you have the exercise, your divine ability to choose. We're unique from all the creatures in the entire universe. We are unique. We are created in God's image. We have the ability to choose. And that's expressed whenever we overcome our nature. We go against our nature. We do the right thing even though our nature and our urge, our instinct is pulling us in, in a different direction. When we're, when we're bombarded with negative thoughts and yet we overcome it and we dismiss them. Because we choose to do so. That divine ability, by expressing that nature, that choice, we're doing something that's infinite. We're going beyond our boundaries. And by going beyond the boundaries, that's when you touch the, the infinite aspect of Hashem. That's when you touch the deepest part of Hashem. By exercising your freedom of choice, by making a personal choice, you're, you're expressing that we're not robots. We're not just cogs in the machine. We're not just natural creatures. We have something of the divine, something of the infinite inside of us. We have something personal. Life is personal. And we choose Hashem. And that's a personal choice. Every time we do the right thing, we dismiss the negative thoughts that enter into our mind unconsciously. And we can't help it. But every time we dismiss those thoughts, and every time we overcome our negative, negative urge to speak negatively, or to act negatively, we are expressing the divine inside us. That's the most eloquent expression of that personal touch, that personal relationship we have with Hashem. We're only doing it for Hashem, only because Hashem asked us to do so. So we're doing it. So it's, it's a personal, it's person to person between us and Hashem. And then the whole universe just falls by the wayside. All that exists really is you and Hashem. It's so personal, so intimate. And that touches Hashem in the deepest place. And therefore, it has the ability to evoke the greatest revelation of Hashem. And it's a, it's, a, um, it's a delicacy that has the ability to revive the soul because it touches the soul itself. So this happens every single time, every single time we overcome a struggle.
Therefore, he's saying, don't feel sad that, you, that you're destined to struggle for the rest of your life. Because not only shouldn't you feel sad, deprived, that you're not the tzaddik, on the contrary, you, feel, you should feel joyful, because this is the will of Hashem, this is a mitzvah, this is what Hashem wants of you. You're exactly what Hashem wants of you. You're on the front lines. And you have the ability, think about it, you have the ability to give Hashem such delight, such pleasure, that touches Hashem so deeply. You can't even imagine how deeply Hashem is moved and touched. So you should feel joyful about it. Feel good about it. How fortunate is our lot that we have the opportunity and the ability to express this divine spark inside of us. We have this opportunity to give Hashem such infinite pleasure. We have the opportunity to have such an impact, powerful impact on this world. Every single time we overcome a difficulty, we overcome a challenge, a hurdle, we overcome our urge, our instinct, our natural self. So this is the purpose of life. So why are you feeling sad for yourself? This is the whole purpose. This is what you're accomplishing. When you go into battle, you have to go into battle with a, uh, a song. You have to march into battle with a uh, triumphant march. With a song of victory, a march of victory. So when you realize that you're, what you're fighting for, and that every time you overcome a struggle, you're winning. You're winning against the forces of evil, against the forces of darkness, against the forces of arrogance, against the forces of self-centeredness and self-absorption. And you're bringing, revealing that light, and you're touching Hashem in the deepest place, and you're bringing into this world holiness. Such holiness into this world. So this is something that you should appreciate. It's not easy. No one ever said it's going to be easy. It's a struggle, it's a war, it's a, it's a battle. No one ever promised, no one ever said life is easy. Good things don't come easy. Anything that's good, that's worthwhile, comes with struggle. On the contrary, if it comes too easy, then you wonder if it's where it's coming from. Is there something good in life? Anything good, worthwhile, came through, has to come through effort, through struggle. So yes, this is our destiny. We're destined to struggle, a life of struggle. That's life. But that's when you're alive. That's when you come alive. It's when you struggle, that's when you come alive. It's when you struggle, that's when you touch your soul. That's when you touch, so to speak, the soul of Hashem. That's when you touch the deepest part of Hashem. So we have the ability to cause God to smile. We have the ability to give God such a delicacy. This is our holy mission. Hashem sends our souls into the field, the rough field, to jungle out. And the tzaddik appears one delicacy. He has the ability to transform <coughs> darkness to light, bitterness to sweetness, negativity to positive. We don't have that ability. But our struggle puts a smile on Hashem's face, gives Hashem infinite pleasure. And knowing that should give us joy, should make us joyful. What an opportunity that we have. How fortunate that we as insignificant as we are, and we think our struggles are insignificant. No. No such thing. Our struggles are our significant. And the slightest movement for the positive gives Hashem such infinite, infinite pleasure. I continue. This is indicated in the verse, quote, The Lord has made everything for His sake, even the wicked for the day of evil, end quote. 
How can it be said that the Russia was created for God's sake? That even the Russia, for the day of evil, is also for the sake of Hashem. Okay. This means, however, that he should repent of his evil and turn his evil into quote-unquote day and light above, when the Sitra Achra is subdued and the glory of God is uplifted on high. Thus the meaning of the words, quote, even the wicked for the day of evil, end quote, is that the purpose of the wicked is to transform the quote-unquote evil into quote-unquote day. He explained earlier, when the Russia who's born a Russia means he's born with the potential to be a Russia, which is describing the Benini, that we all have these temptations that are out of our control. We're human, we're down to earth, we're earthy, we respond to materialism, we respond to, um, to the stimulation around us, and we have our impulsive soul, which responds very powerfully and has a very powerful attraction. And... Uh, junk food, junk lifestyle, the junkier it is, the more attractive it is, tastier it is, and we're attracted to it. And we're bombarded with these temptations and these negative thoughts. We can't help ourselves. We can't help it. But what we could help is to turn away from that, turn away from that negativity. You can choose to let it into your conscious thought or to dismiss those negative thoughts, to speak, to slander, to say the lie or not to say it, not to speak falsely, speak the truth, or speak kindly, to act on your impulse or not to act on your impulse. That's your choice. So by turning away from the rush, you transform it, you, you transform it into, light, into day, because you illuminate, you illuminate your, your life, and you illuminate your world, and you illuminate the entire world, and you illuminate Hashem. And this is, this is also for the sake of Hashem. Even the fact that God created the world with life is such a struggle. If God wanted us to do the right thing, why did He make it so difficult? I mean, he gives us a Torah, He gives us 613 mitzvahs, and He says, I expect the world of you. Everything. Here's the code of Jewish law and a silver platter. I expect the whole thing from each and every one of you. Well, Hashem, if you would have made life easier, <laughs> one thing... <clears throat> <laughs> he gives us obstacles from right, left, and center. He throws us curves from left field. We're always surprised, constantly surprised. We think we overcome the hurdle. There's a new hurdle. There's a new goal. There's a new... The, the, the goalpost keeps on, <laughs> keeps on advancing. Constant challenge. You think you finish one level, you go on to the next level. It's, it's, it's never-ending. So what's the point? It's counterproductive. Make up your mind. You want us to do the right thing, so make it easy for us to do the right thing. He says, no, even the Russia, even the fact that Hashem put us in an impossible situation, He put us in a situation where we have to deal with so much negativity from within and from without, it's also for His sake. Because by overcoming that difficulty, you transform, you bring light. You bring such illumination, such pleasure, such, it's such a delicacy for Hashem, it's such a pleasure. And it's like the, it's, it's the novelty also. It's one thing when the tzaddik does the right thing, that's to be expected. That's to be expected. The tzaddik naturally wants to do the right thing. He can't do the wrong thing. Because he's not even tempted to do the wrong thing. He's only tempted to do the right thing. But when you overcome your difficulty and you make a choice, that's a novelty. That's unexpected. That's a quantum, quantum leap. You introduce something new into this world. 
And this is what gives God tremendous pleasure. It's the biggest delight. And the analogy is given. It is, how do you entertain the king? When the king wants to be entertained, how do you entertain the king? So you bring the parrot. And when the parrot speaks, the king finds it very entertaining. What's the big deal? A parrot spoke. People speak a lot better than parrot. When people speak, you get annoyed. <laughs> you fall asleep, you get annoyed. When the parrot speaks, the whole court is entertained. It's very entertaining. What happened? The parrot could hardly say a few words. It's entertaining. Why? Because it's a novelty. You don't expect the parrot to speak. So when the parrot speaks, it's so delightful. And that's our situation. That's the human condition. It's one thing for the angels to praise God, or for the tzaddikim, the righteous ones. It's natural. But for us to do the right thing, it's so unnatural. It's so unpredictable. It's so entertaining to Hashem. It's such an illumination. It gives such pleasure. It's a delicacy. It gives God such infinite pleasure. This is, this is His entertainment. We are His entertainment. This grabs his attention. It's a novelty. It's something unexpected. So everything was all created for Hashem's sake. The darkness was created for Hashem's sake. Like it says, this world is like a circus. It's entertainment. The fact that there's a struggle, and there's a conflict, and there's two teams, and I don't know which team is going to win. And you overcome the negativity. This is entertainment. It's unpredictable. I don't know. It can go either way. And yet you choose to do the right not because you're a robot, because you're forced to do the right thing. You choose to do the right thing. This has such value, such entertainment value. This is Hashem's entertainment. This is Hashem's pleasure. So we are, we give Hashem such infinite pleasure. This is what He watches 24-7. He's watching us. This is His entertainment. It's so much entertainment. What? It's somebody's entertainment. <laughs> somebody's laughing, right? We're, we're crying and somebody's laughing. <laughs> The problem is we're using a human metaphor. Because you could ask, well, if he knows what the outcome is, how can it be entertaining? Well, that's a, that's a whole other question. Because Hashem knows past, present, and future, but Hashem knows what we have already chosen. But He doesn't force our choice. But we're not going to get into it now. Basically, you're talking about something that's inexplicable. How can God know the future? Could you understand it with your rational mind? How can God know the future? How can someone know the future? You know, what, you know the present, you know the past. How do you know the future? So just like you don't understand how God can know the future, so you don't understand how God's future, knowledge of the future doesn't affect your choice. Okay, you're dealing with, with something that's totally inexplicable. You're dealing with something that's totally beyond human understanding because God's mind is not like our mind. But that's a whole different discussion that we studied in different parts in the Tanya. The second part of the Tanya, in chapter 7, how God's mind is different than our mind, and God knows the future. You can refer to it in LessonsInTanya.com, chapter 7, in the second part of the, of the Tanya. But, um, so yes, we are Hashem's, we are the, we are the actors, we are the main players. We are the stars in the show. Isn't everyone dying to go to Hollywood? <laughs> we, are the main, we are the main actors in the show. We are the entertainment of Hashem. And you know, it's 24-7. It never stops. Hashem has a voracious appetite. He loves to be entertained 24-7. But every time we do something unpredictable, 
it gives God tremendous pleasure, infinite pleasure. So that should give you joy. Don't be sad. Why are you walking around so sad and dejected and feeling so terrible about yourself and about life and look at your situation and it's hopeless and on the contrary. You are the front line. You are the star. You are giving Hashem such entertainment. Every time you do something unpredictable, you do the right thing. You overcome your nature, overcome your urge, overcome your instinct. So this, this goes contrary. Contrary to the central message of society today, which encourages, encourages you to indulge succumb, follow every human weakness, follow every human urge, follow every human instinct. doesn't appreciate the value of struggle. And here the Torah is telling us on the contrary. The whole purpose of life is struggle. It's only then that you come alive. It's only then that you touch His soul. It's only then that you're real, that you're touching Hashem. You're fulfilling the whole purpose of your being, of your existence, of creation. It's only then that you sparkle, you shine. So don't, don't fall for the siren song of succumbing. Of, don't, don't be seduced. It's very seductive. But it's a dead end. It's an empty trip. There's nothing there at the end. There's no satisfaction. There's, there's nothing there. It just leads to heartbreak and to addiction, and to self-destruction, and to superficiality, and mediocrity. And there's nothing there. You want to sparkle, you want to shine, you want to make something of yourself, you want to really, really feel accomplished and, and meaningful. It's only by overcoming and doing something, making that radical leap, that quantum leap, doing something unpredictable, overcoming your nature, overcoming your urge, overcoming your instinct, that's when you make this world a better place. And that's when you come alive. That's when you touch your soul. That's when you touch the soul of Hashem. And what happens on a microcosm eventually has infinite repercussions on the macrocosm. The world becomes a better place. The darkness and the distortions and the ugliness and the, is diminished. And the world becomes a much better, more enjoyable place. You reveal, instead of the world being a jungle, you reveal that this world is a wonderful, wonderful place. Because what, what happens in this world is really a reflection of what's happening inside of us. We are in charge. We are, in a certain sense, we are in charge. We are sitting in the command and control center of the world, of the entire universe. What happens inside, the way we live our lives, individually and collectively, impacts the whole world. So when we live a superficial life, an indulgent life, a life where we just follow every whim and every thought that pops into our mind, we just follow. And we don't, there's no struggle and there's no conflict and we don't rise above our nature, we don't overcome our nature instead of doing the right thing. Then that world becomes a very shallow and a very, very dark place, empty place. But when we overcome that struggle, we rise above our nature, this brings such pleasure into this world. This brings such light, such an intense light, enough to revive the soul. It touches God in the deepest place. It touches us in the deepest place. And it touches the world at its very core and essence. It makes this world such a pleasurable place, a beautiful place. Instead of a jungle, this world becomes a garden of Eden. 
as a result of our struggle, of our conflict, of our effort. And each struggle, what's true on a collective basis, is also true just like every atom reflects the entire universe. The atom, the tiniest unit in the world, is just as infinitely complex as the entire universe, as all the stars and the galaxies put together. Because the tiniest is a reflection. Just like the sun, the entire sun is reflected in one drop of the ocean as it is reflected in the whole ocean. Every drop in this universe reflects the infinite complexity and the infinite infinity of Hashem. So too, if it, this is true on a collective basis, when all of us together and collectively, individually, collectively struggle, it's also true of one struggle, one person, one struggle, contains all that energy in it, contains that infinite energy, that, that atomic energy. Every time we struggle, and every time we do the right thing, it reverberates, it creates a, a, a nuclear explosion, a spiritual explosion. And it touches Hashem so deeply, and it touches the whole universe. It shakes the universe to its very core, in a positive So be joyful, appreciate Realize what, what you're doing, what you're accomplishing. You're the front line. You're the, true, you're the front line. You're bringing holiness into this world. You're making the world a beautiful place. And your own life and your own home beautiful. Every time you overcome. And now he's going to continue. It's not only when you have to overcome your negativity. But even overcoming your nature. Overcoming your ego nature. Every time you suppress your ego, every time you suppress the rough edges of your ego, your arrogance, because ego, once again, is neutral. Ego could be harnessed and used very positively. But in order to do that, since it's so easy to revert back to being selfish and self-centered and self-absorbed, in order to be able to be honest with yourself, in order to be able to be able to harness your ego in a positive way, you have to be in charge of your ego. You have to be above your ego. How do you do that? Every time you suppress your ego, every time you overcome a natural urge, a natural instinct, even if you, you don't have a natural urge, a natural instinct to do anything wrong, you have a natural urge to eat, a natural urge to go about your life, but it's a natural urge. You're not motivated by anything divine, it's just your ego, nature, instinct. Every time you suppress, you overcome your nature, your habit, and you're able to rise above your habit and rise above your nature and do something that's uncomfortable and do something that's inconvenient for you to do and, and push yourself. And There's tremendous, infinite value in that. Every time you're able to overcome your ego, your nature, and act in a way that's unnatural, showing that you're not a victim of nature. You're not a prisoner of nature. You are in charge. You are above your nature. Everyone talks about tikkun olam, changing the world. You cannot change the world if you are the world. A person who's trapped in prison cannot release himself from prison. It's only when you are the outsider, when you're above prison, outside of prison, then you can unlock the door, open the door and release, release the prison. You cannot overcome nature, you cannot change this world and make this world tikkun olam, make this world a better place, unless you are, you, you are able to rise above the world, above nature. When you are not imprisoned by nature, when you're not a creature of habit, when you are in charge and you're in control, and you're able to rise above your habit and suppress your habit and overcome your habit and overcome your nature, 
even if it's only an urge to, to do something natural, not to do anything negative. You want to eat. I want to eat. I'll eat a little later. I'm not just going to follow every urge. Just because I want to eat, so I sit down and eat. I'm in charge. I'm in control. Every time you suppress your nature, you rise above your nature, you do something a little unnatural, you're able to overcome your nature. It's only when you're above nature, then you can take nature and harness it. Take this powerful energy and harness it for the good. So every time you suppress your nature, you have this impact. You touch your deepest place inside of you. You're exercising your divine spark, your divine ability to truth. And you touch Hashem very deeply. And you provide Hashem with this entertainment, with this pleasure. And you make this world, a, you illuminate the world, and you make this world a better place. Every single time we overcome. And that's what he's going to describe here. The central point of the above discussion was that through the occurrence of evil thoughts in one's mind and through one's battle against them, the Sitra Achra is subdued, causing great pleasure above. The Alter Rebbe now goes on to say that this subjugation of the Sitra Achra and the consequent divine pleasure are brought about not only by one's struggle against the Sitra Achra when it attempts to lead one to sin, as in our case where the lack of a struggle against evil thoughts and the continued meditation on them would constitute a sin. Rather, one produces the same effect by struggling with one's nature in abstaining from permitted matters. For as explained in chapter 6, any permitted action done without the specific intention of leading one to the serving of God, as for example eating in order to obtain strength for Torah study or performing the mitzvot, derives its vitality from the Sitra Achra. This term simply means the other side, i.e. the absence of holiness. Only an action so directed can draw its vitality from the realm of holiness. Therefore, however one refrains from doing even a permissible act in which this intention is lacking, in order to subdue the Sitra Achra, he gives rise to divine pleasure. Furthermore, not only by fighting his evil thoughts does one subdue the Sitra Achra, but even in matters that are fully permissible, every act of sacrificing one's impulse, even if only for a short while, i.e. if he delays partaking of even the permissible and essential, with the intention of subduing the Sitra Achra in the left part of his heart, achieves this end. For example, when he wants to eat but delays his meal for an hour or less, and during that time he studies Torah. For if he occupies himself with other physical matters, he does not subdue the Sitra Achra by postponing his meal, since he is in any case indulging his animal soul. But if he studies Torah during that time, then even when the delay of his meal does not gain him any time for Torah study, for he would have studied Torah regardless, as will soon be stated, and despite the fact that he eventually does eat, yet he subdues the Sitra Achra by the mere effort of postponing his meal, and thereby he brings about the divine pleasure caused by every subjugation of the Sitra Achra. We're talking about someone who is not gaining anything from postponing his meal because he's not, it's not that he's increasing his time of studying Torah. He has an hour, he's going to eat his meal. And the rest of the time he's studying Torah. Whether he eats the meal now and he studies Torah later or he studies Torah now and he has his meal later, time-wise, you're not saving any time. 
you're not adding any time of Torah study. But what you've accomplished is that you've overcome your habit. You've overcome your nature. Naturally, you want to eat? I'll wait. I'll wait. I'm not going to die. I'm not going to die. I'm not starving. I'll, I'll wait. Now I, I want to eat instead of learning? I'm going to learn. Take that energy and now I'm going to learn. I'm going to overcome. I'm going to suppress my nature. I'm not just imprisoned by my own nature. I'm not just a prisoner of my own urges and instincts. Most people are just prisoners of their own urges and instincts. Whatever they want to do, they do. They just act, just follow the nature. Like a dog that just follows, follows on a leash. <laughs> wherever the, wherever, you, wherever the, the owner you know, jerks the leash, you just follow. Whatever you pulled, you just follow. To be connected to the divine, you have to rise above your nature. Who's, who's controlling who? Who's in charge of who? Are you just following, is the wagon following the horse? Or the horse is following the wagon? Who's, who's leading here? Who's in charge here? Is it divine? Or are you just a creature of habit? Or just a creature of, of, of nature, of instinct? So every time you rise above your nature and your instinct and your urge, that's an expression of the divine. Then you are in charge. You're in control. And then when you do eat, then the eating is infused with the divine consciousness. Then you have the ability to elevate the food. Then you have the ability... That's where the Talmud says, I'm a Eretz. An earthy man is not allowed to eat meat. Except on Shabbat, you're obligated to eat meat. Shabbat on a holiday. An earthy man is not allowed to eat meat. Because meat has a very powerful effect on a person. And if a person is not refined, the meat could coarsen the person. If the person is refined, then the act of eating meat could actually strengthen a person. It strengthens your mind, you're able to, to think. As the Talmudic rabbi said, we learned in the seventh chapter, he says, until I ate a delicious steak, I didn't have the strength of mind to figure out this deep passage in the Talmud. But unless you eat meat with such an intention to strengthen yourself and to be able to serve Hashem, just the act of eating meat itself could be a very coarse and could just coarsen you and drag you down and pull you down. So in order to eat meat, and I'm a Aretz, an earthy person, meaning a person who just follows his urges, just follows his instincts. He's just yanked around from urge to urge, from instinct to instinct. He has no, no control, no self-control. He cannot eat the meat, because he is the meat. <laughs> he is the animal. How can, you, how can you elevate that animal? How can you elevate that experience when you are the animal? You are living like an animal. You're instinctive. You and the animal are on the same level. So what, what gives you the right to eat that animal? And how do you have the, the ability to elevate that animal? Because you are the animal. Because you're just a, a creature, an animal. A creature of habit. It's only a Talmud Chacham. A Talmud Chacham who has the ability that he's describing here. That when he has the urge to eat, he says, no. I'm not going to eat. Just because I want to eat, I'm going to eat. I have the ability to overcome my urge. I have the ability to overcome my instinct. Just because I want to do it, I'm not just going to be yanked around like a dog, whoever, whoever 
whatever my urge, my instinct happens to be at the moment, I just follow. I take charge. And instead of eating this hour when I have this urge to eat, instead I'm going to learn. Then when he eats, he has the ability, he's permitted to eat meat because he has the ability. He has the ability to elevate this experience. Instead of it should being a coarsening experience, a coarsening experience actually elevates him and strengthens him. And strengthens his divine connection. Because he's not defined by it. And it's, he's using the analogy of eating, but the truth is it's everything in this world. A person who's not defined by materialism, who's not limited and defined by his nature and his urge and his instinct, is not an animal, doesn't live like an animal. He has the ability. He has the ability to elevate all of human experiences. Money is a beautiful thing. You can do tremendous things with money, as long as you're not defined by it. A person who's defined by money, he's in prison, that's his self-definition. That's what he's about. That person is, is a prisoner of his money. He can't elevate to transform that experience. And then money becomes a trap for him. And it pulls him down. And it leads to jealousy and envy and it tears people apart, tears families apart, and people get greedy and people self-destruct. And then it's not pleasurable. But when you are not defined by your money, you have a much deeper definition. Money is just an object. It's not who you are. It's something that you have. It's a blessing. It's a gift. And then it becomes very enjoyable. You can do tremendously wonderful things with it. Kind things, good things. Things that will give you genuine satisfaction, deep satisfaction, real pleasure. Using it to help a person. So when you're not defined by it, then you have the ability to elevate it. Then it becomes a beautiful experience. So it's only when you're a man, when you're created in the image of God, when you exercise your divine ability to truth, then everything in this world falls into place and then you have the ability to elevate all human experiences and to transform it. Then you can do tikkun olam. But if you're an animal and you're an, uh, uh, a, uh, a creature of habit, and every time you have an urge, you just follow, you don't have the ability, the strength to overcome your urge, suppress that urge, no self-control, no self-discipline. You're not allowed to eat meat. You can't touch it. Because you don't have the ability to... You're in prison. You don't have the ability. You're not the outsider. You don't have that objective perspective. You don't have, you're not that outsider. You don't have the ability to harness this powerful ego energy. This powerful energy. Materialistic energy. A Talmud Chacham. And that, that was the nature of the Talmud Chacham. It's not that they pushed off their meal because they were saving time to learn Torah. It's the same time. They're not gaining a single minute. But it's their ability to suppress their nature. Every time they have a nature and urge, I'm in charge. I'm in control. I'm not just going to be yanked around by my urge or my instinct. Okay, continue. As the Gemara states, quote, The fourth hour of the day is when all men eat. But the sixth hour is the mealtime for scholars, end quote. Because they would go hungry for two hours with this intention, although even after the meal they would study all day. So too, if one restrains his mouth from saying things which he greatly desires to say concerning mundane matters, even when there's nothing wrong with the words per se, 
yet he refrains from speaking them precisely because he feels a desire to do so. For that reason alone, just the mere fact that I have a desire to do it, they, they displayed self-control. They had the ability to say no, just because I want to do it. Because my ego, my nature, my instinct, my urge, my impulse, I have the ability to control. And that alone gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. Every time you suppress and you overcome your, your ego nature, it gives Hashem tremendous pleasure. Continue. And likewise, regarding the thoughts of his mind, he suppresses an urge to think about some mundane matter. Even by the slightest subjugation of the Sitra Acha, here below, the glory of God and His holiness is greatly elevated on high. He's extolling the virtues of struggle. Don't look at struggle as a negative, look at struggle as a, an opportunity. And welcome it and do it joyfully with a triumphant march and um, realize that we're not victims, but on the contrary. We're not condemned to struggle. On the contrary, by struggling we show that we're not victims, that we're free. That we're truly free. Freedom doesn't mean the freedom to do whatever you want. That's not freedom. A person who follows every urge and every instinct is a prisoner of his urges and instincts. It's like an animal. An animal can never change his instinct. That's not freedom. That's not freedom. Freedom is on the country. The freedom not to succumb to your urge and instinct. The freedom to have the ability to rise above your nature to rise above your urge and to go contrary to my urge and That's a free person. Only a person who has that self-discipline, self-control, knows the taste of freedom. Is genuinely free, internally free, and really soars and sparkles, and, and really, your life really has real value and real meaning and purpose. So this is something that a person should should um, welcome and thank Hashem for the opportunity, for the opportunity to be genuinely free through struggle. Okay. From this holiness, a sublime holiness issues forth upon man below to assist him with a great and powerful aid in his service of God. This is what our sages meant when they said, quote, if a man consecrates himself in a small measure here below, he is sanctified greatly from above. End quote. This is apart from the fact that when one sanctifies himself in permissible matters, he thereby fulfills the positive commandment of the Torah quote, Sanctify yourselves and be holy. End quote. One of the 613 mitzvah is that a person should sanctify yourself. As Nachmanari says, it a person could follow the letter of the law, do everything that's right. But he's a scoundrel. He's a bum. <laughs> he's doing everything that's right. You can't schlep him to court. He did everything right. He didn't do anything wrong. But he's a bum. Because he's, he's not living with the spirit of the law. There's the law, but then there's the spirit of the law. Yes, technically you're doing everything that's right. But, you know, you're not, you're not living up to what the law really expects of you. You could be a scoundrel. So there's a mitzvah 
after Hashem gives us all these mitzvot, 630 mitzvot, He said, one of the mitzvot is Kedoshim, be holy. It's not enough just technically and mechanically doing everything that's right. It's also Kedoshim. Live with the spirit of the Lord. Like the, like the Torah gives us so many examples of loving your fellow Jew like yourself and doing this and then thou shalt not steal and thou shalt not be jealous and envy. But there's so many things that the Torah can't spell out. But you get the idea. The idea is be respectful of other people, be kind to other people, be good to other people. So a person could technically, I didn't do anything wrong, but you're not living up to the spirit of the law. That's the ethics of our fathers, the Hasidus, Milsa the Hasidus, you, another person who goes, not just the law, the letter of the law, but the spirit of the law. So there's a mitzvah. There's a mitzvah in being holy. Being holy means not only not doing anything wrong, but not doing everything that's not wrong. Just because something is not wrong, something is not prohibited, doesn't mean you have to do it, doesn't mean you have to indulge. A person who indulges, it's kosher, it's glad kosher. I didn't do anything wrong, technically I did everything that's right. But if you live a life of indulgence, and you indulge in, you, in, 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 in kosher things, glad kosher things, you're not living by the spirit of the law. The spirit of the law is you should be holy. Don't live a life of indulgence. Don't live for materialistic pleasure. Don't define yourself by materialism. Realize it's just a shell, it's just a means to the end. That's not what it's all about. That's just the superficial. Don't live for money, power, fame. That's all external, superficial. Live a holy life. Live a life that's connected. Realize who you are. Exercise your divine spark. So every time a person overcomes his urge and his instinct, he is fulfilling the positive commandment of being holy. So in addition to what he said in the beginning of the chapter, that every time we're bombarded with negative thoughts, and we dismiss those thoughts, we don't indulge in those thoughts, we are doing the will of Hashem, because we're fulfilling a mitzvah. Don't follow your heart and don't follow your eyes. So he's saying not only shouldn't you feel sad by the fact that you are condemned to struggle for the rest of your life, but you should be joyful because you're fulfilling a mitzvah. The mitzvah is not to indulge in negative thoughts, but so too every time you overcome your instinct, your urge, and desire, you're actually fulfilling a positive commandment. Not only are you fulfilling a prohibition, the, the negative commandment of not following your heart and your eyes and your instincts, but you're actually also fulfilling a positive commandment of being holy. So even something that's permissible, the Torah is telling us, not everything that's permissible you have to do. You have to indulge. Just because it's kosher, and just because it's permissible, kosher means it's kosher, but it doesn't mean you have to indulge in everything that's kosher. So every time you overcome your urge, you overcome your instinct, and you act in a holy way, you're fulfilling a positive commandment. So you're doing the will of Hashem. So be joyful. This is what Hashem wants of us. Hashem wants the struggle. Hashem loves the struggle. Not only when we have to overcome a negative temptation, but even the fact that, like the example you used earlier, when you, you have an urge to think something that's kosher. You have an urge to eat. And you're going to eat anyway, and you have to eat. And you have an urge to speak. Something that you have to speak. You have to speak business. You have to. But when you, every time you overcome that urge and that instinct and you delay it and you push it off and you suppress it and you overcome it and you rise above it and you show self-discipline and self-control, every time you do that, you're fulfilling this mitzvah. You're doing what Hashem wants of you. 
you're, you're acting in a holy way. You're showing that you're holy, that you transcend, you rise above the mundane, the ordinary, the external, the superficial, the material, your urge, your instinct. You rise above your ego. You rise above your nature. And you're, you're acting in a holy way, and you're bringing holiness into this world. Okay? Hence, apart from the consolation previously offered the Benoni, that through, quote, turning away from evil, end quote, by combating evil thoughts and desires, he affords God a pleasure that Sadiqim cannot, his battle with the Sitra Akhra also contains a positive quality in the category of, quote, doing good, end quote, that is likewise not present in the divine service of Sadiqim. This positive quality is the fulfillment of the mitzvah, quote, sanctify yourselves, end quote, which applies only to Benonim, not to Tzadikim. For the intention of the commandment is that even one's personal, permissible, and mundane matters should not be attended to out of the desire of one's animal soul, but for the sake of God. This directive cannot apply to Tzadikim, who are unencumbered by desires of the animal soul, as the Alter Rebbe continues. The meaning of, quote, sanctify yourselves is, quote, you shall make yourselves holy, end quote. That is to say, although in truth one is not holy and separated from the Sitra Akhra, for the Sitra Akhra of his animal soul is still, as at birth, at its full strength and might in the left part of his heart, the seat of the animal soul in evil inclination. The word Kedusha, holiness, means, quote, setting apart, end quote, i.e., separation from the unholy. The verse thus means one should sanctify himself, even if he must yet make himself holy and separate from the Sitra Akhra, for at his present level his heart still desires those things that derive from it. You can't tell a tzaddik, the, the verse says, make yourself holy. A tzaddik doesn't have to make himself holy. A tzaddik is holy, his whole being is holy. He's not even tempted to do anything wrong. He's only attracted to holiness. So a tzaddik, it's not an act. It's not something he has to force himself to be holy. So who is the Torah speaking to when the Torah says, act holy? It's like an act. Why is it an act? Because it's not natural. Naturally, we don't feel holy. Naturally, we're attracted to materialism, to ego, to money, power, fame, indulgence. This is what, this is what attracts us. So the, the Torah is speaking to someone who has to, it's like an act. You have to act holy, even though inside you don't feel holy. And yet, the Torah is going yeah, to continue, yet... Yet even while at this level he subdues and masters his evil impulse and makes himself quote-unquote holy, separate from the Sitra Akhra, then, continues the verse, quote, you will be holy, end quote. So this is already a promise. Hashem says, he is Kaddishtim, when a Jew acts holy, even if inside you don't feel holy. It feels like an act. You're acting holy. It's unnatural. I'm going against my nature. I'm suppressing my nature, overcoming my nature, rising above my nature. But when you act holy, then Hashem makes a promise that you will be holy. Your being will actually become holy. Not only it will cease to be an act, but your being will be holy. Okay, go ahead. Let's finish. The words be holy, which in their simple sense voice a command, can also be understood as conveying a promise, meaning that ultimately he will be truly holy and removed from the Sitra Akhra through his being, quote, greatly sanctified from above, end quote, as quoted earlier from the Gemara, and through his being aided from above 
to expel the Sitra Akhra from his heart, little by little, so that even in his heart he will no longer have any desire for anything originating in the realm of the Sitra Akhra. Hashem promises a person, when a person will act holy, even though it's an act, and it's unnatural, and it's a tremendous struggle, and it takes a tremendous effort. But Hashem responds in kind. And Hashem's response is way beyond our effort. There's no comparison. We make a slight effort, and Hashem's respond, Hashem responds according to His abilities, which is infinite. So we sanctify ourselves one iota in this world, one slight movement forward to the positive, Hashem responds not only in kind, Hashem responds in an infinite, infinite measure. That if we act holy and try to act holy, Hashem will give us holiness. And so much so that we will become holy, at least to some extent. Although we don't have the ability to become a tzaddik, but to some extent, as a result of Hashem sanctifying us, we will become holy in the sense that we won't even be tempted to do something wrong. We'll have a taste of the tzaddik. V'yisem, you will become holy. Your being will become holy. Not only, it won't be an act. Hashem gives us such a level of holiness that we, we, we will no longer even be tempted to do anything wrong. So this is a gift that comes from Hashem. This is only Hashem could accomplish. It's not within our realm. It's not, we can't accomplish it. We are, we have our urges, we have our instincts, we have our nature. We cannot control our subconscious. But we could control ourselves, how we respond, how we react. We have the ability to overcome our nature. We have the ability to choose. We're flexible. We have that flexibility. We're not prisoners of nature. But Hashem, when we do what's humanly possible, Hashem rewards us. Hashem gives us when a person acts holy, as Hasidim used to say, it was a saying amongst Hasidim, what a Jew is not allowed to do, you're not allowed to do. And even what you're allowed to do, you don't either have to do. Not everything that's kosher, it's permissible, means you have to do. Just because it's permissible, just because it's kosher, you have to rise above your nature, you have to rise above your, above your instinct. A person who lives that, that way, and even though it's an act, and you're acting holy, in a holy way, Hashem will reward you and will give you holiness and sanctify your life and your neshama and your soul so much so that your being will become holy that you, you will no longer be tempted. Hashem will give you that gift that you will no longer or at least will diminish your temptations or lessen your temptations. So you won't have to struggle so much. That's a gift that Hashem, that comes from Hashem. Someone once complained to the Alter Rebbe, the author of the Tanya, and he says, you know, Hasidim are a bunch of fakers. They're actors. They're pretending to be holy. They study first before they come in the morning, before they pray in the morning. They study for a few hours. They study the Tanya. They study the Hasidic teachings. And they study about the deepest aspects of Hashem, how God fills all the worlds, how God encompasses all the worlds, how all the worlds are insignificant in comparison to God. There's no relationship, insignificant. And then they sit and pray. Many Hasidim would sit and pray for hours and close their eyes and meditate and sing and pray and with fervor, with, with, in, with intensity. And um, he says, so he's complained that Hasidim are a bunch of fakers. They don't mean it. 
they're acting in a way that's totally beyond, beyond them, beyond, beyond their own level. So the Alter Rebbe smiled and he says, the Mishnah says, if a person is rich, he pretends that he's poor, that people go around collecting, collecting money, it's an illness, and they have money. And they, they die and they, they find out they're millionaires, but they go around begging. It's a, it says, if a person pretends that he's poor, he won't die until he's poor. He'll generally, if you act and pretend, if a person pretends to be a cripple, he acts like he's a cripple and pretends to be a cripple, he won't die until he'll actually become a cripple. So he smiled. He said, so Hasidim are pretending to be holy. <laughs> this is an act. But Hashem promises they won't die until they'll actually, actually be holy. <laughs> what? Yeah, so it's an act. But, you know, Hashem will, will bless them that they'll, they'll, they'll become genuine. You act, you act long enough. You're acting and you're holy. You act long enough. You know, before you know it, some of that holiness will actually seep in. There's a uh, beautiful story with Alter Rebbe. And Alter Rebbe was arrested. They came to arrest him. In uh, 1798, the end of 1798, in the fall of 1798, they came to arrest him. And Alter Rebbe ran. He hid. He hid. And he consulted with one of his Hasidim, the biggest Hasidim, a very famous Hasid, Rabbi Shmuel Munkus. He was known to be a clown, where he was a very deep, deep person. And he, would, he loved to clown around. And um, Dr. Rebbe consulted with him. He says, what do you think? I should hand myself into the authorities, or I should escape? Could have escaped, because he could have been sentenced to death too. And uh, Shmuel Munkus answered him. This is a classical response. He says, Rebbe, if you're a Rebbe, nothing's going to happen to you. And if you're not a Rebbe, then you deserve to be shot. Because you robbed tens of thousands of Jews, you robbed from them the pleasures of this world. <laughs> as a result of your teaching, as a result of the Tanya, this was two years after the Tanya was published. Here you're teaching a Jew should suppress, suppress his desire, and suppress his urge, and suppress his instinct, and don't live for materialism, and overcome your desire. And even if, you, even if you're not even tempted to do anything wrong, you have to eat, and you want to eat, and you're going to eat anyway. Suppress your desire, delay it. You want to speak, you have to speak, you will speak. Push it off, use that time to study. You deprived, you robbed hundreds of thousands, tens of thousands of Jews from their pleasure in this world, you deserve to be shot. So if you're a Rebbe, go ahead. Deliver yourself to the authorities. Nothing's going to happen to you. No harm will come to you. And if you're not... <laughs> but uh, this is the... This is a very powerful chapter. And Hasidim took this chapter to heart. And there were people who would live this way. You know, every time they had an opportunity to... They would call it iskafia. Iskafia means to suppress your urge, suppress your instinct. To show that you're in charge, you're in control. You have, you have the discipline, you have. And if you're in charge, you're in control, then you can engage in this world. Then you're not afraid of this world. Then you can elevate. Every experience becomes an elevating experience. You are elevated by it and it elevates you. It becomes a wholesome experience. So when can you do tikkun olam? If you are not the olam, if you are imprisoned by the olam, if you are a, a creature of habit, if you are the animal, then how can you elevate the animal? You yourself are living like the animal.
creature of instinct, of urge, of impulse. It's only when you can prove that you're above, you're a human being, you're created in the image of Hashem. It says the difference between a human being and an animal is the gift that God gave human beings are that animal never looks up. An animal can go through its entire life and not once look up to heaven. All the animal thinks about is, where's my next meal going to come from? It's all, it goes through its entire life. That's an, that's an animal. A human being, God didn't create us. We, we, we don't crawl on four, on all four. We, we stand erect because we have the gift. We have the ability. There are people who live like animals. But we have at least the ability to look up, to wonder, to think. What's my purpose? What's the bigger picture? What's it all about? Why am I here? What's the meaning in life? So we have the ability to rise above nature. And that's why God says in the Torah that man will control the whole world. You are in charge of the whole world. Because the whole world, all the creatures of the world, are animals, are instincts. They just follow their instincts. But when a man acts like a man, when he's created in the image of God and he exercises that divine ability, and he rises above his urge and instinct and does the right thing. And he's in charge. Instead of nature being in charge of him, he's in charge of nature. And that's when he sparkles and he shines. Then you are in charge of the whole world, as we learned earlier. The animal respects, when the animal sees a God-fearing person, a genuine person, the animal senses, has a sense of the divine, and the animal is afraid of him. Like Daniel and the lion, and the lion's dead. They saw this, this, the image of God in his forehead. And even animals sense this, the presence of God. And they were afraid to touch him. Even predatory went against their own nature. When a person rises above his own nature, then the creatures of nature, the animals, the creatures of habit in this world, also go against their nature. The predatory animals went against the nature and didn't even touch, wouldn't lay a finger on Daniel. You know what Daniel told the lions? After dinner, there's going to be speeches. <laughs> so when a person lives a life, when you rise above your nature, and you rise above your urge, above your instinct, then, then you have the ability to change this world. Then you have the ability to transform this world. Then you, you make this world into a holy place, a warm place, a godly place, a wholesome place, a genuine place a place where, where the world comes into focus, where truths are crystal clear, instead of blurry. Because when we just follow instincts, the world becomes a very blurry place. And people don't know right from wrong, and people don't know up from down, right from left. Everything becomes blurred, and people act in self-destructive ways, and the world, the world becomes a, a jungle. But when we, individually and collectively, and every time, every, any one of us, does the slightest, the slightest, we, we rise to the occasion and we overcome our urge and our instinct. And we shouldn't feel discouraged if we're not consistent, if we're not rising to the occasion every moment in our life. Even if you rise to the occasion once in your lifetime, once in your lifetime, you have the ability not to indulge, not to overcome your nature and your, and your instinct. It has such infinite repercussions. You did something holy. You did something divine. You exercised the soul inside of you. You touched the divine spark inside of it. And you touched the divine himself, God himself. And you brought light into this world. And you brought such goodness into the world. So instead of feeling sad for yourself and sorry for yourself and dejected, that why am I condemned to a life of struggle? Instead of surrendering to the struggle, 
succumbing, surrendering to your nature and instinct. But you should rejoice in your ability to rise above your urge, rise above your impulse, rise, rise above your nature, and to fulfill the divine will, and to do it joyfully, and fulfilling the negative prohibition of not following your urge and your instincts, and fulfilling the positive prohibition of being holy, acting holy, and bringing holiness into our lives, into our daily lives. To be continued. Mm-hmm.